In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing this show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Welcome to The Perspectrum. I'm Nathan Seelove. And I'm Michael Bloom. Today we have a very exciting episode. We are going to discuss the Iraq War and specifically mm. some of the decisions from the from the Biden administration to uh, change the combat roles within Iraq. Then we're going to spend some time talking about the Patriot Act. So we're going to be doing a little bit of uh, rehashing of the early aughts. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about... Whether or not you have the right to be forgotten on the internet, mm. which that's going to be a fun one. discussion. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Right to be forgotten. So uh, you might notice a little bit of uh, hoarseness in my voice. And you might also notice that this episode, um, as it has a, a few weeks during this summer, is up uh, a day late. And the reason for that is because yesterday I woke up and I stuck my face in a toilet and I uncontrollably vomited. Well, dude, you stick your face in the toilet. What do you expect? That's gross. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I am recovering from a stomach bug. Uh, I am feeling much better now. But, yeah, you might notice that I, I sound like I've gone through puberty. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad you're starting to feel better. Um, and, yeah, thanks for being ready in time to do the show. So Yes, but you know... But Michael, do you know what's not getting better? No. What, 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 Nathan? What's not getting better? The COVID numbers. You know, foreshadowing. You're absolutely right. <laughs> the COVID numbers are not getting better. No. And speaking, speaking of the COVID numbers, uh, what, what, what are the, what are, what they? are the COVID numbers? Yeah. Well, well these are them. Um, so far, <laughs> worldwide, 197 million people have gotten COVID, which is up from 193 million last week which is 4 million new cases in a week. The prior week, as a reminder, it was an increase of 3 million new cases. So a significant uptick in the number of new cases per week. Um, things are starting to ramp up again on the back of the spread of the Delta variant. Um, our daily average new case rate has basically doubled since the most recent low in June. Uh, deaths at this point sit at 4.21 million, which is up from 4.15 million a week ago, which is about a 1.5% increase in total deaths or about 60,000 new deaths in a week. Again, relative to last week, last week um, we saw 50,000 new deaths. So um, another pretty significant increase uh, in, in new deaths. Um, so far in the world, 52 doses of the vaccine have been administered per 100 people, which is up from 49 doses per 100 uh, eight days ago. In the U.S. at this point, we've reached 35.6 million cases, which is up from 35.1 million cases a week ago. So that's about 500,000 new cases since last week. And again, as a reminder, the week before that, it was just 300,000 new cases in a week. So a two-thirds increase in new cases uh, relative to the week before. Um, 
At this point, 628,000 people have died in the U.S. from COVID, which is up from 626,000 a week ago. So that's about 2,000 new deaths, which is pretty similar to what we've seen for the past few weeks. Um, 49% of the U.S. population has been fully vaccinated, which is exactly where it was eight days ago. And 57% have received one dose, which is up just 1% from 56% last week. Um, so we're seeing cases in the U.S. and worldwide increase on the back of the Delta variant. Vaccinations have never been more important. And as we've seen for the past few months, the U.S. vaccination rate is stagnating. And as a result, as we called it, new mask mandates and, and guidance. So the yep. CDC is, has put out new guidance that you know, even people that are fully vaccinated should wear masks indoors. Again. <sighs> Again. Because, of course, like, of course we should. Like, that's the thing. If, if you have a lot of cases, it means that even though the, the likelihood of a breakthrough case is low, it increases the number of breakthrough cases that you have. And even though the likelihood of transmit, transmitting the disease when you're fully vaccinated um, is low the more likely it is that you'll transmit it to someone that isn't vaccinated. So like and being behind herd immunity here is a worse and worse problem to have. And here's, here's a quick question. What, what was that? What was that number of how many people in the United States have died so far? So far it's been 628,000. 628,000. I just like to point one thing out in the state of Wyoming. There's approximately 580,000. Hmm. All right. It's like the entire state of Wyoming and then some just died off. Mm -hmm. That's just in the United States. The entire population of Wyoming and then some has died. Yeah. This has been serious from the very beginning please fucking take it seriously. I just, yeah. I don't know another way to say it. I mean, it's coming back for completely preventable reasons. Yeah. It's it, so it, goddamn easy. It's such a broken record. It's like, just do the things that are necessary to limit the spread. Oops, we you didn't know, do them. Turns out it's you know, spreading. You know what annoys me? Like, one of the biggest driving forces of the Republican party and conservatism is older people is boomers. Mm -hmm. And what's funny is boomers. I remember growing up, boomers were always talking to me about how immature millennials were, how millennials and liberals need to grow up, you know, start living in the real world. Mm -hmm. And yet we say, all right, here's a mask. Please wear it. So you can protect other people. I don't want to. Here's a vaccine. It'll prevent you and other people from dying. I don't wanna. Yeah. It's like, can we stop? Can we dispense with this stupid notion that the Democratic Party is the mother party and the Republican Party is the father party? You know, because the father is about like living in the real world and the mother is about nurture. No, the Republican Party does not live in the real world. Conservatives do not live in the real world. And like, 
And the actual adults in the room right now are the people that are getting the fucking vaccine. What I was just thinking about as well is like, I'm thinking about where things are going to go from here. The people who are fully vaccinated, sure, we'll probably have to wear masks. But more and more, we'll probably be able to go about our lives pretty normally. And the people that are not fully vaccinated will, as the disease continues to spread among them, probably be restricted more and more. If you think about like, you know, businesses saying that you have to wear a vaccine, like wear a mask or be vaccinated to come in. Like, that's the thing. We saw a year of implosion, like held at bay exclusively by government investment that we can't afford long term because we had to shut down the economy to keep people alive. Yeah. There is no way this country is going to shut down the economy again this year. There's no way that with over 50% of the population or nearly 50% of the population protected, they're going to shut down the economy. It's like, I don't think that's going to be a bullet we're going to bite. And as a result, the solution will almost inevitably be people that aren't vaccinated are going to have a shit time. They're going to be restricted more and more in their activities in order to protect the population at large. So like, if you really care about being able to go about your life normally, get the vaccine because there's almost no way that our society is going to pick um, shut down the economy rather than get you to get the vaccine. Yeah. If you have a choice that enables you to like just move about normally in the world, there's no way we're going to shut down the economy because, because people aren't making that choice. So like if you value being able to do things, go to restaurants, go to stores, go to work, go to school, you have to get the vaccine. Yeah. There's just no path forward without it. And what annoys me is one of the one of the biggest talking points that a lot of conservatives keep trying to use against the Biden administration is mandatory vaccines. Mm-hmm. All right, he's going to impose mandatory vaccines. And this is this was kind of a common trend throughout the entire election between him and Donald Trump, mm-hmm. which was Donald Trump would straw man Biden and claim that he has the correct position. Yeah. And then Biden would have to clarify, no, I actually don't have the correct position. <laughs> it's like Biden wants Medicare for all. It's like, no, I do not want Medicare for all. <laughs> Biden wants mandatory vaccines. No, I do not want mandatory vaccines. And it's like, at this point, you're not really aiding yourself in any political way to not just be like, okay, we're going to make this mandatory, like with limitations, but we're going to make this or we're going to make it easier for mandates to happen. We're going to make it so that um, so that businesses will federally be protected if they decide to have mandates before you can enter their store. We can make it so that federal workers or public employees have to be vaccinated or even make it make it um, like in disincentivize uh not wanting to get a vaccine you know create create harsh mandates for um 
for masks or for testing. Uh, I think that Biden already announced that he was planning mm -hmm. on doing some of that for federal for workers. For federal workers, like, yeah. Like making it so that if you don't get vaccinated, you have to wear a mask and you have to be tested like on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. There needs to be more of that. Yeah, and I like, I don't know, I, I go back and forth because I want people to be that that either if they feel uncomfortable with the vaccine or they, you know, are... They actually have, if they actually have like medical reasons, like they definitely shouldn't be forced to get it, all that stuff. Like I want them to be protected or to be like, be able to return to normal life. At the same time, there's no normal life without as many people as possible getting the vaccine. So like, yeah, I want like, or, or without a really strict testing regime, like, like weekly testing is pretty onerous, but what is there a better way to make sure that someone who's coming into work without protection from this disease doesn't have it and isn't spreading it. Yeah. And you know, again, it's not just about protecting yourself. It's about protecting those around you, which is why it makes sense yeah. for the government to get involved. That is the strictest libertarian threshold. The libertarian threshold for government involvement is when your actions place others in direct physical harm. We're not even talking about like a, a, a liberal interpretation of it. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a libertarian interpretation of it. I don't even know how to transition to the Iraq <laughs> war. <laughs> I was gonna, yeah, I was just thinking about that. <laughs> Speaking of complete and utter shit shows, <laughs> let's talk about the Iraq war. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so the reason we're talking about the Iraq war is that um, earlier this week, Biden came out with what seemed to be a pretty big announcement um, that the U.S.'s combat mission in Iraq would be over by the end of the year. Um, this came after a uh, meetings with the Prime Minister of Iraq, Mustafa al-Kadimi, um, and yeah, and basically this would this would trend you know transition the U.S. troop presence, which would presumably go down, to simply you know train Iraqi forces and. Um, uh, help with intelligence operations and scale down uh, counterterrorism and, you know, uh, like military, active military combat situations with U.S. troops in Iraq. And this is like, this is not new, right? Like Biden came out last week and said that U.S. troops are pulling out, out of Afghanistan. Um, over the past few years, we've been drawing down U.S. troops in Iraq. We're now at about 2,500 um, and, you know, they have, the administration has shied away from saying exactly like how many troops will be coming home, but the Biden press secretary emphasized that, quote, the real announcement today is about a change in mission. So much more focused on enabling Iraqi security forces fight ISIS, which is the mission at this point in Iraq. So I do want to emphasize one thing here. We're not pulling all troops out of Iraq. We're just shifting their positions on paper, which yeah. I would argue is not weasley. a change. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, here's the thing. So Biden, pre Biden's press secretary, Jen Pataki, which I think that's how you pronounce her name. That's how I've heard it pronounced. Uh, she was answered a question. She, she was answering a question about this. And she said, quote, the numbers will be driven by what is needed for the mission over time, 
So it is more about moving to more advising and training capacity from what we have had over the last several years. Mm -hmm. So again, it's not about pulling people out. It's about changing why they're there on paper. However, uh, Dan Caldwell, a security advisor for Concerned Veterans for America, made the argument that, quote, regardless of whether their deployment is called a combat mission, U.S. troops will remain under regular attack as long as they remain in Iraq. An American military presence in Iraq is not necessary for our safety and only risks the loss of more American life. Yeah. And that right there is the crux of this. So from what it seems like, the pulling out in Afghanistan actually does seem like a real pullout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in terms of Iraq, it's just changing why they're there on paper. Yeah. It's still keeping them there. It's still fueling the, the military-industrial complex. Now, I would say that having them be there on paper for combat missions is worse than having them be on, there on paper sure. for training purposes, but it's not a withdrawal. It's, yeah. not, it's not as big as we might think, as yeah. what we might hope it is. When I, yeah, when I first saw these headlines, I was like, I got really excited. Um, and then in reading more, it was like, oh, this is largely a marketing effort by the Biden administration. Yeah. The thing is, yeah. like, let's let's think about this a little more. So no commitment to reduce troops, right? And his press secretary specifically said the number of troops will be driven by the needs of the mission. The mission before was counterterrorism, intent, intelligence gathering, and training Iraqi soldiers. The mission now uh, is helping out on intelligence gathering, um, at least that's the expectation of the prime minister, um, training, and they are leaving the door open for counterterrorism actions if terrorism becomes a problem. So <laughs> nothing has changed. Yeah. <laughs> they, they're, they've, put their, they've put it on a different form, I guess, if they have forms. But, like, it's yeah. pretty much the same. And, and the thing is, like, the mission at this point is to defeat ISIS, which, you know, worthwhile. ISIS is terrible. Worth asking, is ISIS still really a problem in Iraq? Yeah. So, so from a statement from Secretary Blinken on ISIS from March, he said, quote, two years ago, the global coalition to defeat ISIS, together with our local partners, liberated all territory control controlled by ISIS uh, in Iraq and Syria. Yeah. And the Iraqi government declared victory over ISIS in 2017. Yes. They have not... <laughs> ISIS has not controlled a significant piece of territory since the winter of 2017. And since then, the Iraqi forces and their discipline and professionalism um, grew significantly. They are in, in straight-up good shape right now from a military perspective, as long as they're, you know, yeah. relatively splintered government holds itself together. And and one of the arguments that I've been seeing for why the Biden administration is seemingly like taking a more low key approach to this, mm -hmm. that they're not just pulling out, they're trying to shift roles is because they're terrified of like seeming to repeat what happened with the Obama administration, 
So what people claim happened with the Obama administration is that he pulled troops out of Iraq that created a power vacuum and allowed ISIS to gain more power. Now, if we want to accept the framing that him pulling out is what caused that to happen, fine. All right. Let's go ahead and assume that they're right. I think that it's debatable that we should have gone back in, but let's go ahead and assume that they're right. They're fucking defeated at this point. Yeah, the world is very different now. The world is very different now. And also, let's point out, let's remember, who actually is the reason why ISIS was created in the first place? It was us. Yeah. It was our decision to invade Iraq in the first place. Yeah. Like, yes, Saddam Hussein was not a good guy. But when he died, it did create a a power vacuum. Mm -hmm. It did create a power vacuum. And it also rallied people in Iraq against an invading force that, you know, in a war that killed approximately 200,000 civilians. And it created ISIS in the first place. Yeah. So, look, if you don't want another terrorist organization to get created, pull out. Yeah. All right, we de- we defeated a- a- ISIS at this point. At this point, it's clear that we defeated ISIS. Okay, mission accomplished. Mm-hmm. Get the hell out of there. Yeah. I mean, and, and and what annoys me is again, it's about like they're they're afraid of a hasty pullout because of how it might look, not because of what it's actually going to do. Because of how it might look, it might look like what happened. During mm-hmm. the Obama administration, yeah, and I just, I, I just, that pisses me you off. You mean that's so much. not the reason why you would make military decisions? No, you know, the, as a matter of fact, of how it might look. As a matter of fact, it wouldn't look. Hmm. The Iraq War was one of the, one of the most hideously immoral acts of military aggression in United States history. All right. I put it up there with the Vietnam War in terms of how fucking immoral and terrible it was. All right? We were lied into the Iraq War. All right? So so Colin Powell goes to the United Nations and says, hey, we totally need to invade Iraq. All right? Because they got weapons of mass destruction. All right? So, so the UN says, all right, we're going to send inspectors over to Iraq and look at some of the facilities to see if they do have weapons of mass destruction. And they were allowed to investigate all of the facilities. The argument that the Bush administration made for why this wasn't comprehensive enough and why they still might have weapons of mass destruction, even though the UN investigators found none, was, oh, well, Sometimes they didn't treat the investigators nicely. You know, sometimes they would have them wait for a second before going into the facility and then let them in the f- to the facility. So what, you think they have a basement? It's like, oh, we have a secret compartment in this building where we just had to run in there, pick up all the, all the weapons, and store them in there real quick, and then, and then let you in. You, you think that's what they did? You think that's what they did? Yeah, and you think the inspectors are just like, they walk into the building, they look up, they look down. Yep, seems good. (laughs) (laughs) Like, again, nothing was found, and they still invaded. And it it was just conspiracy theory after conspiracy theory after conspiracy theory. And one of the most glaring 
things that the Bush administration did in order to get us into the Iraq war was actually revealed in what was referred to as uh, the Levin Report. So um, the Levin Report was presented in 2009. It was a 232-page report by the Senate Armed Services Committee, um, specifically by the chair whose name is Carl Levin. And it talked about how the Bush administration had used enhanced interrogation tactics, um, you know, also known by people who actually understand dictionary definitions as torture, uh, in order to basically get information from inmates. Now, what's interesting is at the time, a lot of you probably, like, if you were even in high school, you probably remember hearing about this. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, my God, the Bush administration committed torture. They waterboarded people. This is terrible. But one of the details of it, which wasn't as strongly emphasized, was the mechanism for this. Like, it, it feels like when, when the Levin report first came out, it feels like the way it was reported on was, oh, they just tortured people because, you know, it was, it was fun or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, they just, they just, did, they just tortured. Um, it, but they didn't talk about what purpose that it served. So one of the shocking details that was revealed in that report was that torture, which notoriously does not produce accurate information. Mm -hmm. Because here's the thing. If you're being tortured, you will admit to anything to get the pain to stop. Yeah. All right. And anybody who actually understands psychology, who actually understands strategy, knows that. This is something, this is not new. So... What they did was they would take detainees from Guantanamo Bay. Um, the, the Bush administration would put pressure on interrogators to use more enhanced tactics in order to specifically get information that they wanted to hear. So this would be information. So one of the biggest ones was the, the linkage between uh, Iraq and Al-Qaeda, basically trying to make the public argument that uh, that Saddam Hussein was somehow involved with the 9/11 attacks, which, by the way, at the time, almost a little over half of Americans believed. Mm. The reason why they believed that, the reason why that was like the, that was spread around, that the evidence that they had for it was that the Bush administration purposely pressured their interrogators to get that information out of detainees in Guantanamo Bay. By using torture. You know what happens when you torture someone? You get the information ad- you want. Exactly. They admitted they admitted it because they were under they were being tortured. And that is how they got the evidence. They purposely tortured people to get false information in order to trick the American public into thinking that Al Qaeda and Saddam Hussein were working together. There was a linkage there. And they used that as part of their evidence for lying us into the Iraq war. Unforgivable. You know how in, in, the last, in the last episode I said that George W. Bush was a war criminal who should be in prison? I wasn't just blown off steam. Mm-hmm. He should be in fucking prison. Dick Cheney should be in prison. Colin Powell should be in prison. I don't give a shit if Colin Powell hates Trump. I don't give a shit if he endorsed Joe Biden. He should be in fucking prison for the shit that he did. That's crazy. That's like positively like cons- like like a true cover up. Yeah. 
that got us into the longest war in U.S. history. Yeah, and, and the thing is, it worked. At the time, approximately 50, a little over 50% of Americans believed that Iraq was involved in 9-11. Hmm. And like, I think it was like maybe 70, 70 or so percent of them believed that there were weapons of mass destruction. There were so many tactics that they use in order to lie us into this war. It is about fucking time that it ends. And the fact that the Biden administration is like, is just doing this half-assed attempt at a postured withdrawal is just unforgivable. Let's also not forget Joe Biden voted for the Patriot Act, which is part of, which we're going to talk about later, but that's mm -hmm. part of what allowed that. I mean, that is what allowed for Guantanamo Bay to be created in the first place to, to justify th that's part of what justified the torture in the first place. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. He also voted for the Iraq war. He was part of what created it. It's his responsibility to end it. Okay, so now it's time for one of our more lighthearted segments, Tips for Good. So, Nathan, no, why do we do Tips for Good every week? Well, Michael, we do Tips for Good every week because I'm the only one who understands you. Been here all the along, so why can't you see? Hmm. He, he, you uh. belong with me. He, he, uh, you belong with me. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Amazing. And also, of course, to make the world I, yeah, a better make, place. Make the world a better place. Yes. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. 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 I belong and, and with you, you who, who, and to make the world a better place. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, Michael? What? You being with me does make the world a better place. Yeah. yeah. Me, he, he. <laughs> <laughs> so, Michael, what is our tip for good this week? Okay. So, our tip for good this week is very tactical and not at all political, but it's very top of mind for me. Because um, it recently screwed me over, and I don't want you to get screwed over. So, our tip for good is it's summertime, which means you're going to be probably running your air conditioning, which means you should make sure that your air conditioning is working properly. Just like do a basic check, clean out the drip pan, clean out the filter, because two main things. One, filter is a big thing because it blocks the airflow. So we, we were like, man, why is our air conditioning not working very well? Let's just turn down the temperature. So air conditioning was running like mad all the time. It was still hot as shit in our apartment. And we got our electric bill and it was through the freaking roof. And our apartment was still hot because the air conditioning just couldn't overcome all the dust, dust on the filters. Second thing is recently the drip pans in our air conditioning were clogged. And the thing about AC is all it is one of the main things it does is pull the moisture out of the air and then drains it. Well, when the drip pans are clogged, they overflow. And right now our floorboards are buckled and twisted like crazy because the AC overflowed and they all absorbed them. And like the floor is probably going to have to be totally replaced in our apartment. So check your AC units, do it now because you never know when it's going to screw you over. And all you have to do is like start of the summer, do it once you're like turning on your AC and it's getting hot and then it's going to work as well. That's the other thing is you want AC when it's hot. So, so do that. So basic, and you know what? Basic tip. For and, and, and you know what? Having a house that is terraformed by mm -hmm. AC. Mm -hmm. I mean, that makes the world a better place. So true. Also, you know, it says, fuck you to climate change. There, there's the politics. <laughs> and that's <laughs> tips for good. 
So over the last week, we've been hearing more and more stories about a company called the NSO Group and a piece of seemingly, well, super freaking scary and relatively pervasive spyware called Pegasus. So a coalition of news outlets, including the Washington Post, Le Monde, The Guardian, um, put together in partnership with a project called um, Forbidden Stories, which is an organization of journalists that work on stories um, after the original reporters have been silenced in some way. Um, they put together this effort called the Pegasus Project to investigate and, and, and understand where this piece of spyware has been deployed. Um, so spyware is basically um, a piece of malicious software or malware, um, not unlike you know the ransomware that we've talked about in the past, but a piece of malicious malware that is designed to enter your computer device, gather data about you, and then forward that data to a third party without your consent. So think of surveillance. Um, and this piece of malware or this piece of spyware is the best. If something so terrible can be the best, it, it seems to be like there have been some reports of phones being hacked with a single text message. Like, like one report from the Washington post describes the hacking of Claude Mangan, who's a, who's the wife of a French political activist. Um, and this text shows up. It was delivered to her iPhone 11. There was, quote, no sound. It produced no image. It offered no warning of any kind as an iMessage from somebody she didn't know delivered malware directly to her phone and passed Apple's security systems. Um, and a forensic investigation of her device by Amnesty International uh, by their security lab found that between October and June, her phone was hacked multiple sign times with Pegasus in order to surveil her and it the spyware can um it it basically it can like easily enter the phone that it's a target that's you know is targeted at it gathers data uh it can send photos messages audio and video recordings it can turn on your camera and your microphone uh, which means that it can act basically as a bug unlike other softwares it doesn't require any interaction with the user to be turned on. So it can literally be sent to your device and, and it can successfully hack in and start reporting information. Um, and it can't be tracked back to the organization that's using it. Hmm. It's like the perfect dark horse spyware, you know, or, you know, one might say, uh, you know, white flying horse, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, I am I am almost certain that an exact program like this was the plot of a Fast and Furious movie. <laughs> it might have even been called Pegasus. <laughs> like, like I'm pretty sure that I'm because this this sounds like the plot of a Fast and Furious movie, and yeah. I think I think it was. I mean, I, I mean, I, I it's the the movies are so confusing at this point, but this is. Like this is some spy action movie, bad guy program shit. Yeah. That ends up, you know, threatening to destroy the entire world, and then you know the good guys have to like shoot a rocket car into space in order to, you know, in order to save. In the order world to, from. you know, McAfee out the spyware. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, 
and and, yeah. and you know what 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 the first thing that i'm thinking of when you are you know when you're talking about this and it's not just because this is where the conversation going is um that sounds an awful lot like something that um the nsa might do does yeah <laughs> so yeah that's so that's the crazy thing like so the thing that's pretty unique about this software is the fidelity of the detail that it provides. Like traditionally, like NSA gathered data is like metadata. At least it was for a really long time. Is like it's like who you're calling, when, for how long, those like kinds of records. Whereas this is like it could literally listen to your conversation. And it's not new to to be able to have that on your device. Like there are various ways that that can be um you know, that you like someone could install a piece of malicious software like that. But this is like, this one might be the most clandestine. Um, and the company claim, you know, they claim that they, that it's quote for, or that it's for um, quote, government intelligence and law enforcement agencies uh, to meet the challenges of encryption during, um, you know, like counterintelligence or counterintelligence and terrorist investigations. Um, hmm. but the thing is that like, when you like, n not all governments are created equal, right? Like if you're selling this to governments that are oppressive, um, then you basically have given that government the ability to, you know, spy on all of its citizens directly and with tons and tons of, of detail. And again, Another yeah. Fast and Furious pro plot line. <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's where I get all my content, actually, is from is from the Fast and Furious movies. Um, so the CEO and founder of NSO um, claims that, you know, they restrict this tool so that if someone, you know, abuses it, like even a government abuses it, they withhold it. And, and they claim that they've done that in the past. Um, but it's a little bit unclear how they might even know. Because he says, quote, we are selling our products to governments. We have no way to monitor what those governments do. But if they misuse the system, we have a way to investigate. We will shut them down. We've oh, done it before, and we will continue oh. to do it. Oh, really? So after the fact, uh -huh. you know, after yeah. the fact, that's reassuring. Exactly. And so so a lot of this reporting is centered around this list of like 50,000 phone numbers. And it's a little bit unclear exactly what the phone numbers are. Um, but they've linked you know, uh, what, what they've found investigating these phone numbers, which contain, you know, the phones of politicians and government workers, three world presidents, 10 prime ministers, a king, 189 journalists, and 85 human rights activists. So that's of the thousand that they've been able to actually identify the owner of. Um, so it's a little unclear whether they all have the spyware, what, but a Washington Post report found that um, so, like the, the phones on the list that they were able to analyze, um, many of them had the spyware on it. And in some cases, the spyware was loaded onto the phone seconds after the name or the phone number was added to the list. So you add it to the list and, and the timestamp between that and when the malware is loaded on the phone is just a few seconds. So, you know, potentially thousands and thousands of high-ranking individuals and all you need to monitor their phone fully is a few hundred thousand dollars and their phone number. 
I feel like we're probably going to be learning more than the public probably should about the porn watching habits of a lot of uh, <laughs> congressional representatives soon. <laughs> Man, that that's something I don't really want to know. I don't really care. I, I don't I don't care either. I don't, don't really want to know. But. Although I can imagine that showing up as like a new option. Like watch what your senator is watching. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> um, yeah. It's so, like this video also liked by, <laughs> but to Nathan's point, like in the U S even though we're this, like we pretend to be this bastion of privacy and freedom and independence, we're almost desensitized to this. Like we almost assume that this is already happening to us yeah. all the time. We and crack jokes about it. Yeah. Like, I mean, literally when like, when I like say something controversial in my house, I make a joke that, you know, oh man, if you're listening, FBI, like I didn't really mean it. Yeah. Like sometimes Jess will say something that, you know, is super controversial and I'll be like, wait, 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 before you, before you continue that, let me just put my phone in the other room. Yeah. And, and you know? the main reason why we have that is because of the Patriot Act. Yeah. So let's talk about the Patriot Act. So we've talked about the Patriot Act before, I think. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that we've done a segment about it, but it's definitely worth doing another segment about it mm -hmm. because the Patriot Act, which was passed uh, 45 days after 9-11, which you know that 45 days is a... is the exact right amount of time to mm -hmm. pass a hasty piece of legislation that will define government surveillance for the next generation. Yeah. Plenty um, of time. Well thought through. So, and it was, it was supported by Democrats and Republicans. Now, one of the, one of the biggest things in terms of surveillance that it established was, was uh, what is referred to as national security letters. So national security letters, and this is all um, from coming from the ACLU fact sheet. Um, they're, uh, issued by FBI agents without a judge's approval uh, and it's can, and it's used to obtain personal information. Now, our constitution says that we are protected from unwarranted searches and seizures. What the Patriot Act basically says is, well, because they're not entering your house, they don't need a warrant to search your phone records, your computer records, your credit history, your banking history. And between 2003 and 2006, 192,000 NSLs were issued. And, you know, you would think that, wow, since the, since the Patriot Act was passed to, in order to prevent terrorists, there must have been, like, a bunch of a bunch of terrorists that were caught because of one, yeah, 192,000 NSLs that were issued. So, um, Michael, do you know how many led to a, a terror related conviction? Hmm. Uh, I don't know, like 20,000, you know, even that would be an unreasonable number considering we're talking about 192,000. Sure. Sure. I wanted to lowball you. Yeah, yeah, you wanted to lowball me. Um, it's it was actually one. One. They caught, they they made one terror related conviction. Out of 
192,000 NSLs. And by the way, um, according to the, the fact sheet, the, the conviction would have occurred even without the Patriot Act. Hmm. Like even if they hadn't obtained the information um, via an NSL, they still would have been able to convict. It's so crazy to me that this is not just like blatantly unconstitutional. Like, yeah. Like in what world does, you know, you know who's fucking responsible? Fucking originalists. <laughs> fucking originalists on the Supreme Court going, well, they didn't have the internet or phones when they wrote the Constitution, so it's just your house. <laughs> it's just your person. <laughs> Nothing about you. <laughs> yeah. And you would think that, well, you know, the if it doesn't lead to a conviction, then it's got to be destroyed, right? Nope. Even if the information is uh, confirmed to be, like, to, to, to not place an American in uh, legal trouble, mm -hmm. if the, the American is considered to be innocent, they can still save it. Hmm. And in fact, at least uh, 34,000 law enforcement and, and intelligence agents have access to records that were collected through NSLs. Yeah. And that's the thing. And that and and that's only scary because of abuse, right? Like you'd only be we'd only be worried about that if someone, you know, could abuse that information or would abuse that information. Yeah. But just the fact that the government has it or that anybody yeah. like has it in a way that can be connected to you and like you can be spied on without a warrant. Yeah. Is is insane. And, uh, and if one is issued with you, uh, issued against you, um, you can be gag ordered. What does that mean? Ba it basically means that, um, the FBI can prohibit you from telling anybody that you received an NSL. Mm. Like, so you can't even go around telling people, Hey, the, the government just violated my constitutional rights. So, so then, so then the, the next question you might be asking is, well, they got to be doing something, right? You sure. know, m maybe, maybe they're not terrorists, but maybe it's leading to a, a good amount of convictions yeah. from, for, for other crimes, yeah. right? Or as like the CEO of, you know, the NSO, NSO group said, you know, the people that are not criminals, not bin Ladens of the world, there's nothing to be afraid of. They can absolutely trust on the security and privacy of their Google and Apple devices. Yeah. So... Um, so between the years of 2003 and 2005, uh, there were approximately 143,000 NSLs. All right. And of, and of those, you know, how many, how many criminal referrals there were to prosecutors? 53. Wow. So 53. they got them. <laughs> yeah. 17 were for money laundering. 17 were for immigration. 19 were for fraud, zero were for terrorism between those years. That's 2003 and 2005. Jeez. Do you feel protected? <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of just the ways in which um, the, 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 the Patriot Act allowed our government to spy on us, it's, all, like, it, it's already blatantly unconstitutional and to make matters worse when edward snowden was first uh you know first 
leaked what was going on in the NSA. Mm-hmm. One of the craziest one of the craziest revelations was the fact that there were there were agents that worked at the NSA that specifically were using um, that were specifically using their spying powers to spy on like people in their personal life. Yeah. Significant others. Sure. It's like, oh, oh, is my girlfriend cheating on me? I guess I better use my agency related powers in order to check. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, I can I can spy on my significant other's phone. Oh, wow, they're texting Jeremy. Yeah. And that's the thing. That's that is the, the you know, the most hein- some of the more heinous examples because it's an abuse. But the the thing that the the tool was made for was spying on people violating their privacy and their constitutional rights. Like that was the intent. It was just someone that happened to use it, you know, without getting the right form filled out first. <laughs> that was uh, yeah. you know, that was the problem. Yeah. And so that brings us to the next and what I would say is the worst part of this, which is the suspension of habeas corpus. Mm-hmm. All right. So as is supposed to be uh, just standard practice for the U.S. Constitution. If you are accused of a crime, you have a right to a fair and speedy trial. You have a right to not be detained indefinitely um, without due process. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you have the right to due process. Mm -hmm. And... And you have Base, the right to avoid cr- cruel and unusual punishment as well. That too. <laughs> um, all of that just gets thrown out with the Patriot Act. All right. So what's interesting is that the way that the Patriot Act was written, it's kind of purposely jargony and purposely hard to understand so I'm not even going to try to go into like the ways in which they use this language to attack this part of the Constitution or this language to attack this part of the Constitution. The, the only thing that you really need to understand is the fact that the Patriot Act makes it so that people, in many cases, American citizens, can be detained without due process as enemy combatants. If they're, you know, if they're even accused of terrorism. All right. And again, it's, it can be American citizens. There was this one really insane case where, um, there was this, uh, Oh God, uh, did some NSA person like imprison their ex-girlfriend for cheating on them or something? No, 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 (laughs) no, 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 uh, not quite that heinous. Um, one really heinous case was the case of a man named, uh, Yasir Handi who was a resident American citizen. So for work purposes, uh, he was in Afghanistan. uh, Initially, he was there a little bit before the passage of the Patriot Act in August of 2001, and he was captured by Afghan forces, who then basically just turned him into the American government, claiming that he was a terrorist. And it turns out it was because he had a gun on him. All right, so they just handed him over to the American government and said, this guy is a terrorist. And he was immediately sent to Guantanamo Bay. Um, you know, this was uh, that process that happened after the Patriot Act had been passed. He was transferred to Guantanamo Bay. And it was discovered when it was discovered that he was an American citizen, he was moved to a prison in Charleston, West, uh, South Carolina. Again, this is without any trial. This is an American citizen without any trial. 
and the United States government is treating him like a terrorist, an enemy combatant, because he was in Afghanistan for for uh, for work related purposes, and Afghan forces were just like, yeah, he a terrorist. Hmm. You know, again, no due process, no evidence brought, no 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 you know no ability to defend himself. And the most insane part is that later a court made the judgment that the actions were fine. That, that, that even without congressional approval, the actions were fine. Now they did say that there was no proof that he was involved in any actual combat. So what they ended up doing was basically just decreeing that he, his citizenship rights would be taken away from him and he would be deported to Saudi Arabia. And that's what happened. What the fuck? And with the obligation of not leaving the country. Yep. He was just stripped of his citizenship, sent back to Saudi Arabia. And again, this was because he had a gun on him with, you know, cause he was in Afghanistan. It was the purposes of just defending himself. It wasn't as a combatant. And he never like, he never got any legitimate due process. I was expecting, I was expecting him to be in prison for a while and then released with no recompense. The fact that he was ultimately punished, stripped of his citizenship and, and shipped abroad. Yeah. It blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and that was after the due process had actually happened after the courts had actually like actually after the courts had actually become involved hmm. prior to that, he was imprisoned and then the courts became involved and they just deported his ass even though there was no evidence that he was an actual combatant. And that's the thing. That happening to an American citizen, that happening to anybody, like, is... uh, And the fact that the Patriot Act allowed that to happen, honestly, if that was the only case of a person being unjustly held in Guantanamo Bay, that would be enough, in my opinion, to warrant the abolition of this law. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. That is why you have inalienable inalienable protections right like that is why you establish guardrails beyond which your government cannot go because no matter the government no matter how good they can for various reasons abuse their citizenry and yeah and things like the patriot act things like you know, contracting with a private contractor to spy on your citizens. These are the things that are the, that, you know, mark the erosion of these inalienable protections that we absolutely must have because there is no reason why you should expect, why you, why you should expect that your government will always treat all of its people well which means that you have to protect them from the worst treatment that that could happen. Something like the total violation of due process. And and the fact that, you know, we've gotten to this place where we're we almost expect that our government is just spying on us is yeah. incredibly disheartening. Yeah. 
I mean, remember what I said in the first segment about how the government used uh, torture in order to fabricate information to help lie us into the Iraq war? The reason why they were able to do that is because of the Patriot Act. Yeah. Now, why the hell isn't there a major movement right now to pressure people in Congress to, to repeal the Patriot Act? Why is that not one of the top issues? Yeah. And why aren't the courts doing their job? Yeah. Like, honestly, you shouldn't even need Congress for this. It's a blatantly unconstitutional law. It should be, it should be struck down mm -hmm. immediately. Like, it is so blatantly unconstitutional. You are spying on American citizens without proper due process, and you are imprisoning people under, under the pretense of them being enemy combatants. In some cases, American citizens. In some cases, not. You know, in, in some cases, in, in some cases, it's just like, uh, it's just like warlords that are trying to like th th that are trying to collect bounties uh, from the United States government for terrorists. But what they're actually doing is just handing over political dissonance in their country, mm -hmm. which has actually happened. Like, and the reason why, like, like, like there, there, there's some reports that have come out about like, you know, X percentage of, uh, of people in Guantanamo Bay are innocent. Like a third of them are innocent. The fact of the matter is we don't know what the real number is mm -hmm. because they never got due process. Yeah. In fact, if we actually argued from a legal definition and the legal definition would be innocent until proven guilty, you could reasonably make the argument that every single person in Guantanamo Bay right now is innocent because they were never proven guilty. Again, I'm not saying that that I'm not saying that means that there aren't any terrorists, actual terrorists in Guantanamo Bay, actually terrible people in Guantanamo Bay. But the fact of the matter is that the point of due process is to make sure that we are punishing the right people. Yeah. Look, if we're talking about actual terrorists, I say lock them up, throw away the key. Perfectly fine with that. You know, people that kill citizens, that that target citizens for political points. I, I am perfectly like I am. I'm not going to be one of those, you know, uh, one of those candy ass liberals who are going to be like, oh, well, you know, maybe if they killed people, we should examine their their upbringing. It's like, OK, uh, maybe we can do that to prevent people in the future. But if they've already killed people, fuck them, lock them up, throw away the key, but make sure they actually did the crime. So now it's time for one of our favorite segments. Ass hat of, of the week. week. So, Nathan, who is our ass hat this week? Well, Michael, I could not be more excited to announce our ass hat this week is right wing commentator and uh, founder of Turning Point USA, Charlie Kirk. Oh, sweet. Charlie Kirk, come on down. This is not his first time as our ass hat, if I remember correctly. It is not. Good for it him. It is not. That's good. I'm glad yeah. he's, he's starting to chip away at the record set by. Marjorie Taylor Greene and Tucker Carlson. You know, he he really needs he really does need to make up for lost time though. It's true. Like, Marjorie Taylor Greene's just been killing him. I know? know she's doing she's doing a great job, doing a great job out there. So yeah. what did uh, Charlie Kirk do to get on our show? Well, it's important to give a little bit of context. So a lot of people have probably heard at this point. If anybody's following the Olympics, or if you're like me and you're not really following the Olympics, but you occasionally check Facebook, um, American gymnast Simone Biles. Uh, recently withdrew from the uh, from the 
women's team in uh, the women's gymnastic team in Tokyo, um, citing mental health issues. So apparently she has been going through some mental stress, uh, and you know, it's, she, she has had a relatively traumatic past. I mean, she, she did experience sexual assault and sexual abuse, and she has experienced physical injuries Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, and honestly, like there is, I mean, there is pressure that comes from being an Olympic athlete. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Let's, let's not pretend there isn't. I mean, um, yeah, and the Olympics has a terrible history of abusing its athletes as well. Just like yeah. for like pressuring them to continue after physical and mental injury. Like yeah. the the incredible disregard for yeah, in some the cases bodies it's and minds like of athletes to... is 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 uh both manifest and well known. Yeah, and in some cases it's led to like paralysis. Yeah. Um, you know, and 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 and, and look like I said, I'm not somebody who spends a lot of time um, actually following the Olympics. Yeah, like if same. it's on in the waiting room, I'll watch it, you know, and I'll even be like, oh, hey, look, you know. Yeah, I'll that, tune in that for American badminton. Just, yeah, <laughs> you know, they, just did a, they just did a triple backflip. That was cool. You know, it, it, it's not that I dislike the Olympics. I just, you know, haven't really been following it that much. Yeah. Um, and I kept seeing a lot of my left-wing friends on Facebook posting about how like everybody's being so hard on Simone Biles and everybody's being such an asshole to Simone Biles. And I was like, is anybody actually giving her shit? Like this is a, (laughs) this is a, this is an Olympic legend. Yeah. Like she's, she's invented gymnastics moves. She's one of the most talented people in the world. One of the like most physically impressive people in the world. Are people really giving her shit because she had to take some time for herself? Like, are people really... Nobody's actually doing that. And then I saw this clip from Charlie Kirk. <laughs> so he said, quote, um, she's an incredible athlete. Of course she's an incredible athlete. I'm not saying that. She's probably the greatest gymnast of all time. She's also very selfish. She's immature. And she's ashamed to the country. And he also said, we are raising a generation of weak people like Simone Biles if she got all these mental health problems, don't show up. Weak people like Simone Biles? <laughs> That's my favorite part. I love Charlie what? Kirk, who's basically, yeah, who's basically if a thumb he's, grew a head of hair. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's a he, he's a toothpick with uh, with an American baseball cap on. Yeah, <laughs> like, like you're seriously gonna gonna say that she's not strong? I, I mean, I guess he's talking about mental strength but like but, dude, but you, she has literally been out there like like representing her nation more than once you think that doesn't take mental fortitude like the exactly. idea <laughs> the idea that and he could only, ever do anything even close to that is just ridiculous and not only that he ba- he basically said so 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 one of the things that she argued was that uh sh- you know she said quote um i wanted to uh, I wanted it to be for myself. I came in and I felt like I was doing it for other people. Like specifically, you know, her, her performance saying her, her performance in the, in the, in the Olympic games. Mm-hmm. And look, that's the way I see sports, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're like, you might have fans that admire you, you know? Yes. It's, it's probably, it, it's honoring to, to represent your country, but like at the end of the day, it's about fun. You know, it's about the fun of competing which means that of course you're doing it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Like when you're doing sports, it's a game. 
Yeah. You're doing it for yourself. Yeah. Apparently, if you're doing it for world though, peace, Kirk, you might be in the wrong industry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So apparently, Charlie Kirk, though, he 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 thinks that um, doing sports for yourself makes you a sociopath. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. That's what he said. <laughs> said the sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not kidding. That's what he said. He said, like, he called her a selfish sociopath. Yeah. For saying that she wants to do sports yeah. for herself. My favorite part. What? My, my, I might have already said one part was my favorite, but I think my favorite part is that he's like, if you if you don't want to compete in the games because you have you know mental health issues, then don't. There are lots of other talented gymnasts who could take your place and would represent their nation, which is exactly what Simone Biles did. She had some like she needed uh, to. St- you know, step away from this competition for health reasons, health reasons, not just meant, you know, health reasons are mental health reasons or health reasons. Um, and there are more people on the Olympic team that can, you know, take her spot. And she specifically said, you know, that she would, you know, you know, she's got confidence in her teammates and I'm sure she talked to them beforehand. And uh, I'm positive that her, that there was, you know, that her team supported her. The idea that like, that she is betraying her country in a way that that would be different if she had done it like a day earlier or whatever is is yeah. laughable. Look, other people's bodies don't exist for your entertainment. Yes. All right. The the people that decide to use their bodies for your entertainment, that is them doing you a favor. Mm-hmm. All right. The fact that the fact that people with amazing skills, like you know, in gymnastics decide to put themselves on display and show you the amazing things they can do. That's them doing you a favor. All right. You're not entitled to that. That's them doing you a favor. So shut the fuck up and do a cartwheel asshole. (laughs) Yeah. Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like like I want to see him do a cartwheel. Yeah. You know, yeah. Cause like his, I feel like, I feel like he would break both of his arms, you know, <laughs> which is really what we want to see. Um, so <laughs> congratulations to Charlie Kirk for being our ass hat of, of the, the week. week. Okay. So for our last segment, we are going to be talking about an, a regulation in the European union. Uh, which is established in the General Data Protection Regulation, uh, which is a set of laws that includes something called referred to as a right to be forgotten, or also known as the right to erasure. Wait, um, who are you again? What? Who are you again? Nice. That's good. <laughs> I totally. I was like, um, I'm Michael. <laughs> I, I was waiting. I was waiting. I was like, he, he, he'll get right it. He'll to get be it. forgotten. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's good. Sorry, I was trying that's to good. give you more freedom. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, well, that's what this law is trying to do. And it's not exactly that. It's, it's so, so basically what this law does, um, it, it's part of the larger effort in the European Union to enable people to gain control over their personal data. Um, and so uh, it states that, quote, Uh, The data subject shall have the right to obtain from the controller the erasure of personal data concerning him or her without undue delay, and the controller shall have the obligation to erase personal data without undue delay. So basically, you can submit a form to organizations that have your data, and they're required 
um, under certain you know limitations to remove that. And so the the specific you know you're specifically allowed to have your data erased if uh, you meet like one of these following criteria. If the personal data is no longer necessary for the purpose uh, for the purpose an organization originally collected or processed it. So like that's like you know if you use your credit card at a company, they don't need it again because you already bought your thing. So they'd have to erase it. Um, an another reason is an organization is relying on an individual's consent as the lawful basis for processing the data, and that individual withdraws their consent. So that's a pretty obvious one. Another is an organization is relying on legitimate interests as its justification for processing an individual's data. The individual objects to this processing, and there is no overriding legitimate interest for the organization to continue processing. So that's basically, you know, um, the you know, the organization thinks they have a good reason, the individual doesn't think so, and so, you know, without some kind of overriding reason, they have to erase the data. Um, so there's a few other, you know, uh, there's a few other qualifications, um, and then there's a few limitations as well. So if the, if the data is being used to exercise the right of freedom of expression or information, then it doesn't have to be deleted. Um, if the data is used to comply with a legal ruling, it doesn't have to be deleted. Um, if it's being used to perform or carry out uh, a task that's in the public interest, um, then it doesn't have to be deleted, things, things along that nature. But generally speaking, the idea is that a person, one, should have control over their personal information, and two, you know, this specifically is like, applies in a very interesting way that, that we want to dig into more in the form of information and data on social media. Because one of the main reasons to have this is so that individuals, um, you know, is the, is, the, is the principle that individuals shouldn't be haunted forever by something that they did or, or some information about them or that they shared or that they wrote a long time ago. So it's kind of like having your criminal record expunged after a certain amount of time, um, you know, after you have done your time. So it's a pretty it's a pretty interesting concept because in the United States we don't have anything like that. Yeah. But even uh, here here's the thing though. Nothing gets erased off the internet, not truly. Like there's yeah. always an archive. No matter no matter what it is, there's always going to be some type of archive. Yeah. And you know the the first when you first told me about this topic the first thought in my mind was the Barbara Streisand effect. Hmm. So the Barbara Streisand effect is basically when people try to kill a story and in trying to kill that story, they end up blowing it up. Yeah. Like they end up blowing up the story and now everybody knows about it. Hmm. Um, I mean, one, one of the most glaring parts of this was like when, uh, when Devin Nunes, uh, who is, uh, who is a representative from, I believe, California, um, tried to sue Twitter or tried to tried to pressure Twitter into um, taking down an account that was called Devin Nunes's cow, where basically it was this <laughs> like it was it was it was a parody account where it was like his cow who would tweet things like, oh Devin Nunes forgot to feed me again. Like just silly shit like that. Mm -hmm. And only had like a few thousand followers. And then as soon as everybody heard about Devin Nunes trying to get it taken down, suddenly like 
it exploded overnight. Yeah. Like the, the, the number of followers for Devin Nunes' cow just exploded <laughs> overnight. So I just, I think that, I, I understand the spirit of which the law is intended, but I think that yeah. when we're thinking of, um, of bigger stories or, or bigger instances that we want forgotten in a lot of, in a lot of cases, like the process of trying to get them to be forgotten is going to be counterproductive. It's going to make a lot mm. of them blow up in the first place. Yeah. That um, makes sense. And, and, and here's the thing. I, I don't know if that's necessarily the right solution. Like I do like the idea of expunging records of like credit card transactions. Mm. I think that makes total sense. Yeah. Um, but I think there should be a larger cultural shift in which we understand that time changes. Mm -hmm. And as times change, people change. Now, that doesn't mean that if you said something that was that was problematic, that was racist or, or homophobic or whatever, that doesn't mean that, like, it doesn't matter that you said that. That doesn't mean that, you know, it, it's you're excused from saying that. But we do have to allow for the possibility of redemption. We do have to allow for people who, like... To, for people to change mm -hmm. because if we don't allow people to change, then no one's going to change. Yeah. So if someone said something mm -hmm. that was, you know, ignorant or problematic or stupid, like in a tweet five years ago, like if someone, I, I'm not saying that you shouldn't call them out for it. I'm not saying that you shouldn't throw it in their face and be like, Hey, you said this a while ago, but they do need to be given the opportunity to be like, yeah, I did say that. And you know what? It was, I shouldn't have, you know, it was, it was off color. It was stupid. It was wrong, and I apologize. And I think that because we currently live in the internet age, and you know, you know, Michael and I specifically, we we grew up a lot on social media. So like, stupid shit that we said as children is archived mm -hmm. on the internet for all to see. Yeah. I mean, that right there, I think, does need to shift our our overall like cultural interpretation of what it means for someone to have had a fucked up view a long time ago mm -hmm. and allow for more of an opportunity for redemption. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I, I like, I, I was reminded, uh, cause you know, Facebook does that thing where it like shows you memories, things that you said a while back. Oh, God, Apparently, yeah. um, a long me. time ago, I, uh, I, I, I randomly decided to make this Facebook post where and I'm, I'm I swear this is real where I was just like fear knocked on my door, but I wasn't home. That's so melodramatic. And I just read that <laughs> and I was awesome. like, Jesus Christ. I think I was like 14, 15 Honestly, at the time. Honestly, my like grammar is the most embarrassing thing about my old posts. Uh, well, that and the fact that I would just randomly post, I'm awesome. Like, <laughs> like every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Like, and, and the thing is, like, I was like, I think I was 15. I think I'd just gotten dumped or something. I was in a, I was in a sad place, but like just that teenage shit. Like if I'm ever running for president or whatever, yeah, you know, like, I think there should be an understanding that like, if, if, if my opponent were to throw that into my face and be like, look at this silly thing that you said when you were 15, I think there should be an understanding that I was fucking 15. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, I, I think and, you're and, right. and believe me, if I do ever run for president, You'll have plenty of material <laughs> within probably the the previous year to throw at my face of stupid things I've said. Yeah, yeah. So, so a couple things on those points. Like, one, first of all, on the on like nothing ever gets deleted. I think that's I think that's 
true but at the same time it doesn't to me that doesn't have to be deleted as long as no it as long as like no one can access it and actually that's probably good to me because i don't i don't actually think i want these things to be fully deleted because i think of the case of like you know if there's like a criminal investigation down the road where things that seemed innocuous at the time all of a sudden become important context to that investigation I, i don't want them to be fully deleted but in the case of like a like a search engine like this obviously applies to google if they're if they're you know if this right to be forgotten is um you know if one of these forms is like sent to them they're required to unlink uh from these from these from this information right so it's like basically you can't get to it anymore because the the internet doesn't show it to you well google doesn't show it to you but sure. like but that's I, the internet. so 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 <laughs> I I, I want to talk to my uh, our our Zoomer audience. Um, so uh, there was actually a time in which Google didn't exist, um, and you would actually have to type in websites. Mm-hmm. So people yeah. can still do that. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, and and that's and that's the other thing. To your point, I don't know how sustainable this would be to actually solve this problem anyway. Like I think about yeah. like. I, Back in what, two thousand seven and eight, I probably posted on Facebook every some. I probably posted something stupid on Facebook every day. Oh yeah, and so yeah, me too. the idea that I would petition for each one of those things to be removed is crazy. Like it wouldn't yeah. be practical. And so, I agree that I think the the larger shift has to be away from like the pithy away from blowing things out of proportion and away from like, uh, and, and towards allowing, like recognizing that people grow and change certainly from, you know, the example of like being a kid. Um, yeah. Cause you know, it's just eventually, and this is something that this is a thought I'm kind of just forming, but like eventually I don't, I don't know how much you can hold people accountable for stuff that they did a long time ago. Now that's a super general statement. And like, I think it has to come with a bunch of caveats, like about the severity of the action, the type of action, all those things. But like, you know, there's, there's like a reason why like a statute of limitations exists, right? Like, and, and that's been controversial recently because of the way that statutes of limitations have been leveraged to protect alleged, um, you know, sexual, abusers and whatnot but like theoretically the statute of limitations should scale with the severity of the crime right right like you know if you uh, threaten someone the statute of limitations is shorter than if you killed someone um and i think like as a society the more we recognize that the minutiae of our lives and personalities is going to be increasingly recorded for all time and increasingly accessible for all time we need to like ingrain some kind of you know implicit statute of limitations on how we judge people's actions yeah yeah absolutely um i and i think that well well, i think especially when it comes to like actions on social media right to be forgotten on the internet usually we are talking about statements yeah you know, like I, I remember, um, or funny video when I was in, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not even just talking about funny videos. Like I remember when I was, uh, I think when I was 14, um, 
I, I made a joke about uh, this about this anti-alcohol pledge for um, for dare for homecoming night. Oh, no, no, gotcha. no, no, no. It was like for for homecoming night at my school. There were a bunch of students that were going around saying, we're going to do an anti-alcohol pledge. And look, I had no intention of drinking, but I thought I would make a joke like, oh, well, who would want to do that? You know, how mm-hmm. else are you going to enjoy homecoming? And the thing is, the intention was about preventing drunk driving. Ah. And I, and I, made, a, I made a post about that, making that joke. Mm. And look, if that post were ever to like, you know, go around to people. Yeah. Um. It could be very easy for people to be like, hey, look, a lot of people die from drunk driving. You were trying to make light of it. That was a fucked up joke. Yeah. And yeah, it was. Yeah. But the thing is, those were words that I said when I was young and stupid. Mm -hmm. All right. And that approach does not represent who I am now. And in fact, my dad actually very quickly called me out on it. He said I was being a dick um, at the time. So, you know, when we're talking about physical crimes such as you know such as sexual abuse i think it makes sense for there to be no st- yeah. statute of limitations agreed. on that agreed you know uh, especially or for murder for that matter yeah totally um so so I, I think it like i think that you're right that there does need that there are crimes in which a statute of limitations does make sense um and i think that that especially is the case when we're talking about the social toll on something stupid that you said a long time ago. Now, yeah. to be clear, to be clear, if what you said a long time ago continues to be kind of reinforced in things that you are saying now or doing sure. now, yeah. then it's relevant. Yeah, exactly. Then it's relevant. For for example, let's look at Tucker Carlson. Mm-hmm. He used to be a lot more blatantly racist. Yeah. Uh, you know, when he was when he, the, there were some uh, there were some articles that he had written in college that that were that that came up in which he was um arguing much more explicitly for for racist policies nowadays he tries to be a lot more subtle yeah so but but the intention and the proposals have is still there yeah so i would say it makes sense to dig up old shit that Mm -hmm. he has said and be like here's where i come from Let's let's look at the pattern to see how this yeah. shaped who he was. There's a difference between changing the way that you advocate for something and changing the values of have. which you advocate for. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes total sense. And that, see, that's the thing. I keep going back and forth on this because, like, th- in that case, I wouldn't want Tucker Carlson to be able to erase the pattern of his bad behavior. Yeah, you know, I don't want that to be the case. On the other hand, I thought of I thought of another example, which is more you know, pro removal, like the case of where people without their consent go viral on the internet for some stupid shit that they did, like a video or a picture or something like that. Often these people's lives are totally turned upside down, ruined. They're like never looked at the same way again. Or you think of like, with like people who, you know, like cases where someone like shares an illicit photograph and then that person posts it online or something like that like those are cases where you should have an absolute right to protect the fact that you're out there to 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 shut that down and you should have the support of the organizations that run these platforms to do that right like and you should have the right to be able to remove those traces of yourself from the internet yeah i i think i mean if we're talking about illicit 
photographs that are up there without your consent. I think that, I mean, I yeah. would say that unequivocally, unequivocally you, know, yeah, you should absolutely. have the right to. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, we don't have protections around that really. Already. But at the same time, I do think there also does need to be a social shift. I think that. Agreed. I'm like, cause, cause let's, let's, let's ask the question of what makes it so life ruining for someone to have an explicit uh, yeah, photograph. Absolutely. absolutely. It's because of this cultural attitude of, Oh, well I've seen you naked. Therefore I can't look at you the same way. Or I've seen you naked. You took that picture. Someone took that picture. That means you're, yeah. you're, you're a slut. There's or, or so many. Like yeah, that. exactly. There's no like, reason why think, that has to ruin someone's life. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know? So, so yes, of course you should have the right to, um, to control images of yourself, especially explicit images. And we shouldn't be treating that as if that taints the person forever. Mm -hmm. You know, we shouldn't like if someone goes viral for doing or saying something stupid that like, is just a, a representative of one weak moment in their life or, you know, one silly moment in their life. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, if it's, if it's something funny, laugh at it, you know, but don't try to ruin the person's life. Yeah. Yeah. In my mind, yeah, in my mind, there, like, there should be more controls in the U.S. for the information about you on the Internet. Yeah. And maybe, but maybe not necessarily stuff that you have put out there. And so with that, we will end our show as we usually do on our highlights. So, Nathan, what's your highlight this week? Well, my biggest highlight this week is the fact that I'm not throwing up anymore. Nice. Win-win. Um, <laughs> I, I will say yesterday was a very miserable day, mm -hmm. and I do just want to give a huge shout-out to my lovely wife, Jess, who has been on a few episodes, who uh, was, you know, she, she, she ran out and got me Jello and ramen and bland, and bland food to make it so that I could, you know, I, I, I didn't starve and I, I wasn't, you know, throwing up after every single tiny piece I was eating. Um, so it's really nice not to be sick. That's great. And you never truly appreciate just how great it is to not be sick <laughs> until you become sick. And you think, man, not being sick is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> My everyday life is awesome. Yeah. yeah fair mm -hmm. enough. So what's your highlight, Michael? Um, I think my highlight this week is that um, we are being visited by my sister-in-law and brother-in-law and their little baby this coming weekend. Um, it's going to be a really full apartment because they'll all be here, but it's, I'm really excited. It's going to be really fun, and, um, yeah, it's going to be great. And so with nice. that, thank you so much for listening to The Perspectrum, and you'll hear from us again next week.